Sergio, if you like what we're doing here, if you support the show and you want to give support to the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash let's talk native. And if you do so, we'll provide you some exclusive content and some things that uh, others aren't going to get when you get it. So support us by going to Patreon. Yahweh. Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for Native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. No prayers, no buffalo speeches, and no spirituality shows. While this podcast does not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do take a tough look at history, oppression, and our survival. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. So everyone, welcome to Let's Talk Native. Um, no guests today, just me. Uh, there's a lot to, uh, there's just so much to unravel because of everything that's going on. Um, in in the United States, I mean, it, you know, I, the last show that I did with with Regan in New York, um, it opened up with me just a, a genuine, you know, fit of laughter. I couldn't stop laughing, and you know, and and I know that sounds, you know, maybe it's offensive to some people, but when when I said that the entire world is laughing at what's happening in the United States, I'm a part of that entire world that's laughing because. This has been building everything that we that we are witnessing now, you know, both on the denial side and on, on the hyperbole side. It is it's it's so much of its gamesmanship and so much of it. It just really exists to the detriment of everybody. And I don't mean just Americans and U.S. citizens. I mean, there are a lot of people that are affected by um, by. The, the chaos that that's kind of ensuing. So uh, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit, and I'm going to talk specifically about democracy. But first, let me. Um, uh, I posted a video on my Facebook group page, uh, a video that was shot by uh, by a, a Facebook friend uh, from eight years ago when uh, when Idle No More was a thing, and uh, Matt Hill and I we had gone to the Galleria Mall in the suburb of Buffalo, which is actually in Tictawaga. And we were going to participate in a what was a, a, a commonplace thing happening during the you know the height of the Idle No More movement, which was these flash mob round dances, and they were taking place in oftentimes in, in malls or, or in large public places. Um, some of them were huge. I mean, in places like on the Canadian side and on the U.S. side, Mall of America and uh, Edmonton, all these places. Some of these things were huge. Well, the Galleria Mall in, in, uh, in Buffalo or Chichawaga isn't that big a place, but it's, it's got a pretty good space in the center. And so we went there. We're actually going to, some, uh, to another event after that. We figured, oh, we'll stop in there. These things are only last a few minutes long. We'll stop in there. So we showed up, and uh, they were set up in an area that's re a real open space, and it's got um, an open access uh, you know. Um, stairway or balcony all around all the way around it it was a very large round dance when you watch the video you don't get a sense for how big the circle was the dance because it's so far back away from where the singers are um but as as the singers were had started one of the things that that matt and i had, had observed was the um uh, paul blart the, the mall cop was was basically 
really agitated, and he he actually went over and tried to confront one of the little kids who was part of the the, the group singing in the center of this round dance. Um, so Matt and I decided we weren't going to dance. We were going to go inside uh, inside the circle, and we were going to. Uh, try to ensure that that this guy or anybody else wasn't going to interfere with what they're doing. Now, keep in mind, it's called a flash mob round dance. For those of you who aren't familiar, these don't last that long. I mean, it's usually, you know, it grows until you you have, you know, a critical mass of people dancing in the circle. Uh, and then it ends. I mean, it's, it's, it's just to make a statement. And, of course, there are people with banners and, uh, and signs and that kind of stuff. But so so anyway, we get inside and I keep kind of walking in between the mall cop and, and the singers. And I, I actually asked him if we we're going to have a problem. And then he said, yeah, you're right. You're going to have an effing problem. He goes, you guys are all trespassing. And I said, all right, then. <laughs> so at, th- at that point, I th- took up my jacket and, and, and I'm, thinking, I'm thinking this is going to get this could get interesting. Well, sure enough, um, a bunch of cops show up and. I run interference between the cops and the, and the singers and it turns into a bit of a conflict. So you can see it all in the video, but what's more important than just the idea that cops came to shut this thing down and more important than me actually getting involved in a little bit of a physical altercation with the cops was the idea that I could actually reason with him and have a conversation. I mean, when a lot of these videos and there's a bunch on YouTube and it says, you know, Chictawaga police attack, you know, I don't know more round dance or attack at gallery mall. There's all kinds of stuff that you can find it on YouTube. Um, this video that, that I reposted was really good because it's an overview. and You can see everything that's kind of played. It's, it's kind of off in the distance, but it's, but you can see it pretty accurately. But the way a lot of people were characterizing it was that the police attacked and the reality is they didn't, they were going to, and they had, you know, a couple of the other suburban police departments, you know, backing them up and they, there was a line of cars outside. But I was actually, in spite of the fact that my altercation with this police officer started out a little rough and ugly, we were able to reason with each other. And I actually talked him down. And I think that's the whole point. You know, look, we live in a time where, where we're seeing conflict that, that can, be, can be sparked out of almost nothing. And in this situation, I would felt pretty strongly about not letting this cops interfere with, uh, with, with what was transpiring. But the thing that I explained to him is, is we're going to be gone here in a minute. You know, Matt basically told the, uh, told the cop that um, you're going to have far much more time involved, invested in paperwork than you are in anything going on here. You know, it's going to take more paperwork than, than uh, time to do with your paperwork than it's going to take for this thing to be over. And after we went back and forth, and, and of course, I got to give a lot of credit to not just uh, Matt and I, but a lot of other people who, who stood there. Um, a lot of uh, uh, women who came with their cell phones to make sure that it was all captured on video. Because uh, that does matter. I mean, it, it does affect, you know, the, the psyche of, of, the, of the police officers, knowing that whatever they're going to do is going to be captured and it's going to be plastered all over, you know, YouTube, Facebook, whatever. Um, but, you know, I, to, the, to the credit of the, of the police officers, um, the one in particular that, that was in charge, um, they ended up doing the right thing. And nobody was charged with anything. You know, the, the round dance happened, and it was, it was pretty phenomenal. It got, in fact, as we were, we were backed up right against the singers, the, the, the singers started getting louder, hitting the drums harder, going louder and louder and louder, and then it builds up to a crescendo, and then, it, then it's all over. And... Matt and I continued on our way. But I, I just think if you get a chance to, to watch a video, 
it, I don't encourage people to get physical with a police officer. And, and I didn't mean to. In fact, until I saw the video, I didn't realize that I actually had gotten as physical as I had. But, you know, he grabbed me and I, you know, and I kind of swam, did the swim move and got him, got him off of grabbing a hold of me. At one point when he tried to go around me, he started reaching down to his belt for his pepper spray. And I leaned in and suggested that, that wasn't a good idea when you consider that it was, you know, hundreds. And, you know, at least 500 people were there maybe closer to a thousand. I don't know, but I just told him that it was a bad idea and that it was unnecessary. And, and much to my, my surprise, I will say he, um, he ultimately agreed and we all went our, went our way, but, um, it's, it, it is a good example about resistance, but with diplomacy. And, you know, so I do encourage people to take a look at the, take a look at the video and you make your own judgments. I mean, uh, you know, how right I was, how wrong I was or whatever. But, uh, um, I did keep those, uh, those police officers from shutting down our flash mob round dance eight years ago at the Galleria mall. And that anniversary of that was just a couple of days ago. So that's why I'm wearing my, I don't know more shirt today. So, all right. So here's what I wanted to talk about today. <clears throat> With all of the, the clamor about the attack on the U.S. democracy, and this is part of the hyperbole I'm talking about, when I listen to people talk about the Capitol as some sort of temple of, you know, or, or you know, sacred, you know, space or whatever else, look, it's a freaking building. And, and when people want to talk about this, this temple of democracy, we need, to, we need to analyze a little bit more what democracy is, you know, because... I'm going to flat out say it. Democracy is, it promotes racism because democracy at its core is about majority rule. So in the United States, with 62% of the, the population being white, and I know people are going, oh, I knew you're going to go racist on this thing. Look, if racism wasn't a thing in the United States, then you wouldn't walk into the halls of Congress and see it disproportionately white. You wouldn't walk into a prison and see it disproportionately black. You wouldn't look at the wealthiest people in the world in, uh, in the United States and see that, that those are disproportionately white. The, the, the CEOs of major corporations, that, that, that they're all disproportionately white. If that didn't exist, if there was more racial equity, I mean, if, if you know, but even if there was racial equity, keep in mind, you would still have... 62% of Congress being, uh, being white, uh, you would have, you, you, there would be essentially n almost no native people <laughs> in, in any, con uh, as, as Congress people, because we are less than, you know, uh, half a percent of, of the U S population. So if, if you're going to look at democracy in, in terms of what it is, which is this idea that a majority makes uh, rules, for one thing, that's not what the United States exactly is because the founding fathers of the United States didn't want a democracy. Why? Because they were a bunch of elite, elite white guys, white men, not just white guys, white men. They weren't interested in, in true democracy. For one thing, women, which, you know, at this point, I think are even maybe more than 50% of the U.S. population. They only got the right to, to, to vote or participate or, or own land, you know, you know, 100 years or, or 150 years ago or so. I mean, so it wasn't set up to be a democracy. I, it, it was about white people with power. And the founding fathers of the United States, although they would aspire to have an educated and a well-informed electorate, they knew that's not what they had. 
And they were, the electorate they were talking about were other white people. It wasn't black people. It wasn't brown people. It wasn't native people. And it sure as hell wasn't women. So what was set up in these, in these sacred spaces, the, you know, these buildings, <laughs> was not democracy. And, and part of the, the reason that some of the founding fathers were against this idea of democracy because they were afraid of mob rule. You know, how, how ironic is that? Because when you, if you only leave power in the biggest mob, then that mob is susceptible to, you know, uh, to, to, to false idolatry. I mean, and, and to, these, to these guys like, like a Donald Trump. Anybody who can propagandize, that, that's how you end up with some of these authoritarian leaders that, have, that are put into place by populism because democracy promotes populism. And look, when we could talk about trying to make sure that, that the minority is not oppressed by the majority, when you're, when you're constantly beating that drumbeat of democracy, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about the majority ruling over, over the minority. Now, the U.S. Constitution is supposed to protect the, uh, the weak. And, and when, I, when I say weak, it means protect the weak by numbers. It's supposed to protect the minority. And of course, it didn't because the very guys who were talking about, you know, you know all men are created equal and, you know, um, liberty and justice for all, most of those guys were slaveholders. So even as they were spewing this stuff, they didn't, they weren't, they didn't take that stuff, you know, to, the, to its literal definition. They had already created this idea that there were, that the people that they were talking about, the, the democracy that they were talking about were among white people, white men in particular. And so it, I think for people to understand some of the downfalls that exist in the United States is it, it really finds some of its root in this idea that, that, a, that a mob or the largest group gets to rule over the, over the smallest group. See, here's the problem with this idea that elections solve problems. If when you go into an election, you realize, okay, you have different op of opinions that are going to be expressed and you're going, and you're going to cast a ballot for this position over this position or vice versa. But if you go into it with the idea, okay, if somebody's initiative prevails in an election, then I concede to that initiative that, that I, that I, then, then that will determine the consensus of the American people. That's not what exists in the United States. I mean, if, if you've got 50% of the United States and, and, and you don't, but if, if you had, if it was a 50, 50 split right and left, then you would think that an election would, would, would resolve some of that, but it doesn't. What it does is it polarizes them even more and everything that you try to do to try to, uh, you know, uh, eliminate oppression or abuse polarizes people even more. And, and look, clearly the founding fathers of the United States didn't, would, would, would cast out certain people, you know, um, native people, which were, we, we, there was actually more native people than there were white people on this continent at one time. Um, we would never be included in their, in their governance. In fact, the constitution refers to us as being excluded for apportionment or, uh, you know, uh, uh, representation and all other stuff. So, so we were clearly not a part of it. Black people, look, black people would be counted for apportionment, but they wouldn't be able to vote. 
because they were enslaved. They were owned and they were considered property. In fact, there was probably a period of time in the United States that there, there may have actually been more people enslaved, especially in the southern states, than there, there were more people enslaved than there were people who were enslaving. So these guys, I mean, you take a, you know, a, a Thomas Jefferson or George Washington, only one of them, but they had, they had more than one slave. So there's, this wasn't about democracy. Slaves didn't get a chance to, you know, to, to voice their opinions. They were property. They weren't human beings as far as the founding fathers of the United States were concerned. And, you know, and even as they shaped this, this so-called representative you know, republic that, uh, or de democratic republic or whatever you want to call it, you have to keep in mind that it still wasn't democratic. There's a disproportionate amount of power that goes to um, that were the slaveholding states. And today, even as you look at the, the U.S. Senate, the U.S. the U.S. Senate has a disproportionate amount of power to rural southern states. I mean, if you've got a 50 50 Senate like like it looks like the United States is going into here. Those 50% represent the Republicans, don't represent 50% of the, of the population. It, in fact, it's not even that close. It's, it's disproportionate. Why? Because two state, uh, two state senators per, uh, or two senators per state. Every state gets two senators, regardless of whether it's Vermont or North Dakota or whether it's California or New York. So you end up with only 50 senators, 48 plus two independents, um, representing the more popular a bigger population than the than the 50 Republican senators. So that's not democratic in any way shape or form. And if, and of course that's on the Senate side. On the on the on the House side due to things like gerrymandering and uh and and the manipulation of of voter districts and and packing, you know, um a certain amount of uh minority black people or whatever in, into one group, you can limit the amount of uh of congressional representation to defy the population. I mean, so what you have is when you look at elections, you can see that there are more Democratic votes cast even in years that the Republicans have gained House members. Well, how does that, how does that work? Well, it's not just because, you know, a certain district overwhelmingly, or well, I guess it is, <laughs> a certain district overwhelmingly votes Democratic because they've all been packed in there. They're not spread across. They, they manipulate what the shape of the district looks like. So they can concentrate all Democrats into, in, you, know, you know, or people they perceive as Democrats, like black people or, or whatever, in, into one uh, district. So, yeah, they're going to win that district, but they're gonna, and they're going to win it by a large amount, and we will ma manipulate all the other districts so they can win perhaps not so uh, marginally. So this is, I mean, this is how the system has, has screwed up both the House and the Senate. So the entire legislative branch of, of, the, of, the, of the government. Now, that's not even talking about the Electoral College, which is another disproportionate um, anti-democratic system that gives power to states disproportionately, uh, you know, based on their, on, uh, uh, disproportionate from their population. So there's nothing that's democratic about it. And then even when you get into the system of governance, you have some of these rules, not even laws, but rules that like, like filibuster that disproportionately assist Republican states because they don't have the population. They, they've already, they've already been disproportionately granted more, more seats than their population would otherwise uh, dictate. And 
because the filibuster rules have changed over the years, where all somebody's got to say is, I, I oppose this, uh, this piece of legislation advancing to the floor, it requires a supermajority for it even to advance. I mean, the legislation may, uh, may be restricted to simple majority, but to advance it in the, in the rules of the, of the Senate chambers requires a supermajority to advance it. And that's how McConnell was able to stop all of Obama's uh, court nominees um, and you know, stop basically every piece of legislation that, that he was able to determine would go to the Senate floor. Um, and then, uh, and, you know, and so because he was, he was the, 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 the Senate speaker, the majority speaker, and this is how, how the whole thing has been manipulated. And so when I hear people talk about this, you know, this mob going to the Capitol, at, where now it's up to six people who, who've have perished, who have died as a result of this thing. When I hear it de declared as an attack on democracy, no, it wasn't. Democracy wasn't at, uh, uh, attacked here. But, but here's the thing about democracy also. Democracy isn't just about majority rule. It's, especially in the United States, because you can actually win an election in the United States, um, especially the, the president of the United States, by not winning the popular vote. You can actually win an election um, without uh, getting more than 50, more than 50% of the vote. And in fact, Bill Clinton, when he, when he beat uh, George, uh, George Bush, he beat him um, because a third party candidate, Ross Perot had taken enough votes from the Republican. So Bill Clinton never reached the 50% threshold. So he wasn't elected by a majority. In fact, the majority of the, of, of the votes were cast for somebody other than Bill Clinton. So, I mean, this is, this is the antithesis of, of democracy. I mean, there are, there are countries in the world that if somebody doesn't get elected with a 50% majority, and, and there's some states that do this too, uh, then there has to be a runoff between the, between the final. And, and that's how Georgia uh, ended up having this runoff election for the, the two, state, uh, two U.S. senators. Because neither, no candidate had gotten over a fifty percent, fifty percent of the of the vote. So that's why. So some states will do it, but this is the the lack of uniformity when it comes to the to the way elections are held in the United States. So again, when you consider that that state that in the United States, sixty two percent of the uh, of the U.S. population is white. It's going to affect. Look, even the majority of Democrats are are white, so it's not just that you know. Well, whites are all Republicans, and everybody else is you know uh, all the something else uh, are, are Democrats. No, that's not. The, even if you look at the Democratic Party, most of them are white. So if somebody gets advanced in the Democratic Party, they have to they have got to pass through the, the white threshold. So even there, and anytime when we see like a civil rights bill. Uh, push through or, or something that that you know that protects the oppressed people it takes white people to advance it i mean so whatever freedoms or protections that the minority does get they get at the at, you know through the grace of white people so i mean that's the system the only the only thing that that a black person or a native person or a hispanic person is going to get is what the white people allow them to get because they aren't protected and they'll ne and they're never going to be the majority. Even, you know, they say by what, what do they say? 2030 or something like that, that, um, white people, may, white people may drop below 50%, uh, of the U S population. 
but they're still going to be the largest single group. I mean, black people are only 13, 12 or 13% of the U.S. population. Hispanics, which isn't a race, it's more of an ethnicity, represent maybe 15, 15%. I mean, when you add it all up, I mean, it's still very, very disproportionately white. And, and, and again, so is the Democratic, Democratic Party. That's why we as Native people, we experience race, racism from the left and the right, but, but, but so, do, so do other people. So do black people. Obama didn't do anything particularly special for black people. And, and he actually, you know, raised the bar when it came to, or, or actually lowered the bar, I guess you would say, when it came to killing people of color. The amount of people that, that, that died of, of drone strikes and, uh, and, and the like. I mean, this is something that the amount of people who were de- uh, deported was at an all-time high with, with Barack Obama. So this is, <laughs> this is what, I, what I'm kind of talking about, how the system is, is skewed towards, uh, towards that favor. And, and I even haven't even gotten into to things like economy. And that's, and that's what I'm going to talk in the second half of the show. Because not only is dem- does democracy promote racism and populism, but the so-called lauded free market capital system of the, of the United States, it does the same thing. Look, power begets power. And while white people were were for a long time were not the majority of the United States and in fact they ruled you know entire continents like like Africa being a stark minority of the people but see they never never promoted democracy then they they had their you know their their the racist laws and the racist policies in place and so they ruled with might they ruled with you know with power and uh you know and through threat of death that's how these, these groups became powerful enough to begin to, be, to become the majority. And then once they, once they become the majority, then we can talk about democracy. We can talk about how, how great democracy is. The founding fathers of the United States, they didn't a- applaud democracy. In fact, many of them thought that democracy w- would, would always do, you know, dwindle down to mob rule. They were afraid that if, if, if the, the people... The, you know the broad populace controlled the, the the country, the government that they would break they would break the treasury. They they were concerned about this. It's actually part of the reason that some of them didn't even want a standing army because they didn't they were afraid of what what populism within a a, a standing army would create. I mean, this is the fear because the, when the founding fathers talked about tyranny, they weren't just talking about the tyranny of a monarch. They were talking about the tyranny of a mob. So this is what what people have to understand. So when I listen to all of this, you know, all of this clamor about an attack on uh, on democracy, well, let's also be be wary of who was doing the attacking, because seventy four plus million people voted for Donald Trump, and I'm not saying that seventy four million people still support Donald Trump, but they may. I mean, even with what transpired last week. There hasn't been a wholesale exodus of people from Donald Trump. It still goes right along party lines. The same people who supported him before this this attack on the Capitol, this mob on the uh, you know riot at the at the Capitol, um, support him to this day. M- many of them. Some of them are trying to distance themselves only because of political expediency. But we'll talk about that when we come back to him. 
All right, this is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back after this. Thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Oh, so there was an attack on our democracy. That's what Americans are saying. That's what politicians are saying. You know, the, the, the crazy part is they're also saying that this was all about trying to disrupt um, a democratic election. Well, the irony is that what, was, what this mob was trying to disrupt was not just the election, but the process that actually, even if it is a formality, that would essentially you know, grant the, the, the presidency to, uh, to Joe Biden, which was the Congress getting together to essentially tally up the electoral college votes, because that's how the, the president is really determined by the electoral college votes. The, the general election is supposed to guide those electoral college votes. And, and look, we can have a big discussion on how democratic the system is. Look, you've got 50 states, with, with, with 50 sets, different sets of uh, rules on how elections take place, everything from how the primaries, I mean, are primaries even an election? That's, that's even a debate. I mean, uh, you know, yes, people vote, but, um, you know, the parties get to, 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 not even the state, but the parties get to determine who gets to vote in their primaries. I mean, it's, it's really kind of a, of, of a skewed system. You know, so by the time you get to a general election, you've already had, you know, um, less than the will of the people determining who's who's going to be the the party nominations and nominees i mean we saw a a debacle both times uh bernie sanders ran ran for the uh the democratic nod the first time it was it got pretty well exposed on on how the you know how the the whole primary system was geared to uh to eliminate uh, the system was geared to eliminate uh, Bernie Sanders, and we could argue the same thing happened uh, in 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 this this last race where he where he has to concede to to Joe Biden. So, I mean, how democratic the elections are that's a, that's a whole other debate. But it is what it is. The fact that you had a, you know the, both the president of the United States and a certain number of Republican senators and, and a larger number of Republican uh, congressmen that wanted to overturn the results of the election and prohibit the electoral college votes from being cast in accordance to the system that has been in place uh, is kind of absurd. But when, when I keep hearing it, re, you know, just reiterated over and over and over again that it was an attack on the democracy, I, that at some point somebody needs to, you know, needs to school people on what democracy really means. And, and again, when you have a situation that, that, on when it comes to these elections, the majority rules over the minority. That that does spill over into the idea, of, into the racial majority ruling over the the racial minority. Now, I'm, and again, I'm not promoting this idea that race is even a legitimate measure of a of a person or or a characteristic. But racism is real, even if race isn't, and we see it again. Walk into any prison. You walk into, you know, the, the difference in, in the countryside versus the, the, the urban environment. You can see 
how people are are you know are distributed across the the you know the landscape and you know the crazy part is you you even in in really really democratic states if you look at the state by geography there is no question that geographically the majority the vast majority of the united states geographically is republican and now of course that we don't measure space right <laughs> we measure human beings people but because the concentration of people in in the cities are enough to overcome the the uh the rural populations that are very very white you look at any state i mean as a, we're looking at georgia in this in this last election i mean it was right around those those three cities that enough people cast ballots to overcome all of the the red areas of, of Georgia. And, and and that's not just true in some places like Georgia. Look at New York State. Look at California, Washington, Oregon. And and it, and it kind of shows you that the way people are distributed uh, are uneven. And then because of, of things, like I said, gerrymandering and, uh, and the idea that rural states get two senators, uh, even while po more populous states get two senators, that it deviates i mean it actually undermines this whole concept of, of democracy now and of course the concept of democracy does favor the majority which is oftentimes going to be at the expense of the minority and even if it's if it's people who are considered the minority by the color of their skin now i was gonna i wanted to talk a little bit about uh about economies you know i, I listened even today i listened to uh um a show on, on NPR, and I heard one of these right-wing, um, uh, you know, policymaker or, or consultants or whatever suggest that that income disparity does not hurt the poor or the middle class. You know, let me say it again. He said the income disparity. So the fact that the rich got richer and the poor got poorer doesn't hurt the poor or the middle class. He, he said, there's no evidence to suggest that. Of course, there's plenty of evidence it is, but he says it, and he says it on NPR, and to the extent it gets challenged, it isn't challenged with a with a with the proportionate amount of force. He actually went on to say that income disparity, you know, so when you have a, a larger disparity, when you have the rich richer and the poor poor, it's actually a sign of economic growth and economic expansion. Well, that might be true, because economic growth comes at the expense of poor people and the middle class. And it benefits the wealthy elite the, the most. So this gets into what, you know, what the United States wants to promote as their free market system. And, and you hear this a lot from the Republicans. But you hear it from, from Democrats as well. That that's, this is why they, they want to, you know, you know, cast out this, this idea of socialism and, and try to, you know, demonize socialism. Because they want to promote their free market that makes the rich richer. And they want to promote the, 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 the their capitalist system that, you know, continues, you know, to create a larger and larger accumulation of wealth amongst the very few. You know, I, I listened to, to, to some of the hearings that are going on, even, even as I'm speaking about impeaching uh, Donald Trump for his role in the attack on the Capitol. And, and I listened to, to one of these Republican hacks get up there and talk about the great accomplishments that, that, that Trump you know, achieved, including his tax cut, which was for the rich. I mean, there was very little 
um, advantage to to the certainly to the poor uh, to the poor or to the middle class when it when it comes to Trump's tax cut. It it benefited. It, it created a huge deficit and it benefited the rich. So again, it added to that income disparity. And then they want to brag about how great the uh, the economy was doing. That's only if you measure it in terms of, of you know the Wall Street, you know the stock market, or or unemployment. Look, I've said this before on the show. All of the numbers that people attribute to the unemployment rate are completely bogus. I mean, if you want to understand what the real employment rate is in the United States, then you measure the entire adult population, working age of population, and and set that against how many people have jobs. That's the unemployment rate. And it is not 7%. It's not you know, 8%. It's not 9% or 13% like, like black people are experiencing. It is much higher than that because the unemployment rate you hear in the news is only though it's only counting those who are unemployed, who are still seeking employment through, uh, you know, through the system that are registering as unemployed, whether they can receive benefits or not. It only goes back. I think the last uh, 90 days. So if you stop looking for a job or, or stop demonstrating that you're looking for a job, then you, um, you aren't even counted as unemployed. So if you lost your job a year ago and still haven't been able to get a job, you're not, even, you're not considered unemployed, at least not in terms of the, those, those rates. And, and of course, through all of this, this pandemic, this global pandemic, and, the, and, and of course, more, you know, more seriously, the, the country that's managed this thing the worst has been the United States. Highest number of deaths, highest number of cases. Uh, they're, they're, I mean, it has been managed so poorly by the United States. No country has had it, has, has failed as miserably as the United States has when it comes to managing COVID-19. But you know what? The rich still got richer. Yeah, some of them died, <laughs> but they still got richer. And the, and the poor got poor. The, the people who were most adversely affected. And of course, when you wanted to talk about things like stimulus checks or or supplemental un, unemployment uh, you know, benefits, all those rich people said, well, we can't have poor people getting more money uh, during this COVID-19 you know, shutdown. We can't have them making more money while they're not employed than when they're employed. They were so concerned about the few people. And, and it is relatively few compared to the amount of people who would actually make less money on unemployment, which is the overwhelming majority. But they're so concerned that a few, again, predominantly people of color, <laughs> might be making more money not working than working. That the, all these white guys, uh, you know, in the Republican Party said, no, we can't have that. And, and there were some people on the Democratic side too. So th this is the crazy system that exists in the United States. And it's, anti-democratic look you can see over and over and over again times when the the vast majority and i don't mean just the the the, the bare majority or the barely majority I'm, I'm talking about the overwhelming majority of people wanted some piece of legislation change like stronger background checks after uh the newtown massacres the, I mean, it was something like 80 percent of the of the u.s population and I, again these are these are polls but a majority of, of senators and congressmen w wanted some changes too, but not a supermajority. They, they couldn't get 60 votes in, in, in the Senate to, to pass it. So nothing changed. After a bunch of first graders got killed with an AR-15, there was no legislative action. 
to to address the to address the issue. Didn't matter what the what the overwhelming majority of the people. So this isn't about democracy. This is about wh- who has the power, and those who have the power want to advance things like gun rights, and they want to advance things like you know tax cuts on the rich. They want to make sure that <laughs> that they protect their interest. Let me get back to talk about the majority a little bit again, because one of the things that happens with a majority that that is oftentimes determined almost by skin color is the fear. I mean, there's white supremacy and and there's and there's white privilege. But then there's the other thing that that kind of is on that that decline, which is right. White fragility. What you saw demonstrated at the U.S. Capitol last week was white fragility. It was fear that Trump s- stoked in, in, in the American, uh, in, in much of the American population, the, the ones that support him. And they said, look, if you don't overturn the election and keep me as president, your, your life, your, the country's over. I mean, he literally said these kind of things, that your, your freedom would, would disappear. And he was talking to white people. And so a lot of the things that he, you know, the racist comments that he that he that he's expressed, his misogynist comments that he expressed, you know, all of the things that that were deplorable by any measure of of you know of humanity, it really was about him playing to his white base, you know, when uh, when when somebody was killed, um, at, you know, at you know by white supremacists, he goes, "Well, there were fine people on both sides," you know. He couldn't even condemn white supremacists when they killed somebody. And he, and he hasn't really condemned the white supremacists who killed, you know, who, who were responsible for six deaths at the Capitol last week. But what he stoked was this idea of white fragility, that if you don't take a stand, regardless of what the majority, regardless of democracy or, or what is perceived democracy, because what happens is if you're white and in control, you can even control the nar- narrative on what is really dem- what's what the facts are was it did the elections go the, the right way was there fraud and and that's what was fun here so when you create a large impassioned majority even if that majority slips down below 50 percent, you still have that impassioned mob that is louder more active more you know again more passionate <laughs> and they have a power they have a power that defies the uh, you know, democracy because they believe that they are right and they believe that they represent the majority of the people that matter. And, and again, we got into this whole debate on what a legitimate vote is. Most of the votes that they wanted to see dismissed were, were votes of people of color. You know, everything that was done in, in the U.S. election that would make it easier for people to vote, the Republicans were against. Why? Because they do better. The fewer people that vote, the better it is for, for Republicans. That's the way it works. So what we saw in this mob, this angry mob that assembled at the Capitol, and may assemble again for Inauguration Day. We don't, we don't know. But what, what you saw were people who really believed that they are the majority, and they believe that they are superior, and, and that other voices don't matter. Look, you, you saw people that were wearing... You know, Nazi symbols, uh, Camp Auschwitz shirts, you know, carrying the Confederate flag. All of this stuff is about white supremacy because the majority of 
Donald Trump's followers, and again, we get into this word majority again, uh, you know, are, are the, the overwhelming majority are white. And, and when I say overwhelming, I mean, you're lucky to find a black face in most of these crowds. But they're not just white. They're white supremacists, and they feel like it's slipping away. One of the things that, that you know, attracted them to Donald Trump was the fact that he, he would speak in these racist terms. They found comfort in that because they felt like their racial superiority that is systemic, not real. Um, let's be clear. There is no racial superiority, but the system is skewed towards white people. And that's what they fear was slipping away. And see, again, rather than saying living with, with the idea that, yes, the United States is becoming more racially you know, diverse, you know, again, I hate to you know, keep harping on race. I, I don't mind harping on racism, but but if you look at, at the at you know the skin color, it's becoming more and more diverse. And but like I said, even the Democratic Party is still predominantly white. It's still a, a, more white people than you know. They they can only attribute a certain percentage of the of the black vote that'll that'll help swing an election. But it's I you know, I always say this about uh, about Native people who run in elections. They, they aren't going to get elected by, by Native people. And, you know, and the same thing goes for a, a black candidate. You're not going to elect, get elected by black people. Those black people might help. But you need white people to vote for you. You're not going to win. Eat, I don't care where you run for office. If you don't get white people to vote for you, you're not going to win an election. And it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how sweet you are. It doesn't matter how squeaky clean you are. It doesn't matter how righteous you are. If you don't get white people to vote for you, you're not, you're not going to win an election. White people still control pretty much every institution and every system in the United States. And and I'm not saying that people of color aren't making it into those in, into those systems, but they're they're still they're still very very small in numbers compared to the overwhelming majority of white people. And and the, and the problem is that the people of color who make it into those systems, they've had to play the white man's game so much to get there. And, and that's why when, I, when, I, when I'm critical of somebody like Barack Obama, it's because, yeah, he's a black guy. You know, mother's white, father's black. But he had, he had to endear himself to a lot of white people to get there. And he had promises to fulfill. He had, you know, people he had to, had to look after. And, and, and I'm not, you know, saying that of somebody like well, like Warnock who who just won in Georgia. You know, I I'd hope to see I would like to see when a black man gets into into a position to to affect change that he actually affects change. And you know, look, and even the, the native people who who have run for congress and there there're five still <laughs> there are five native congress people. Five Two of them are Democrats, and one's going to be gone because she's going to become the Interior Secretary, and three of them are Republicans. And they don't necessarily advance, you know. And now there will, there will only be one Democrat, but she represents Kansas. She doesn't represent the the overwhelming majority of, of Native people. And it's hard to imagine that somebody who has been through that system that is, you know, you know, either been military or, or, and, and they're, they're Christian and they're, and they're party operatives. When they make it through that system, they're, they're in fact, you, you see it right now, even as, as Congress was voting 
um, on this impeachment thing. You're going to see the native people vote strictly along party lines. They're not voting you know, as native people. They're voting as Democrats and Republicans. That's the system. And what got them there? You know, what, what, what got the two senators from Oklahoma or, or the congressman from Oklahoma in there? White people. I mean, what, what, native people didn't get, get them elected. The, the, the Republican uh, congresswoman from, uh, and I'm not, not talking about Deb Haaland, you know, her name is Harold or something like that. Um, she's a Republican. And, you know, she was actually one of the ones, you know, trying to overturn the, the election. Because that's the, that was the party line. She's a Trumper. You know, <laughs> Jake and I were talking on the way in here today. And, and for all of these people, especially Native people, or, you know, or even anybody of color, anybody who's been oppressed by the United States, how is it that even today there are still people who want to claim to love America and be proud Americans and to be patriotic Americans? At some point, aren't you a little embarrassed? Aren't you a little ashamed of what the United States has become? I mean, I don't know how you don't how you you, you don't laugh at what the, at, at what the United States is going through, especially if you've been the victim of all of the things that they're fighting infighting against each other over. We're we've been Native people have been the most we we are the most marginalized people in, in, within the you know the U.S. borders. We're still the most marginalized people. We've had our our populations killed. I mean, our, our populations didn't just fade away. We didn't just disappear or evaporate one day. We were, we were the victims of a depopulation policy. And depopulation means murder. It means disease. It means sterilization. It means, it means poverty. It means all of those things that are going to reduce the people, not only in their stature, but in their, in their numbers and in their, um, their, their affluence, all of that stuff. I mean, we didn't magically become, you know, half of 1% of the U.S. population. This was, this was worked on for, for centuries. This is, I mean, this is what our experience is. So why would Native people be all excited about Deb Hallen being the Interior Secretary? Or, 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 or be so proud you know, uh, 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 proud of the United States. Where do you get this pride from? I mean, it, it, it's just, it's incredible. I mean, there are, I, I hate to say it, but there are Native people who may have participated in, in that storming of the Capitol and not for any Native reasons. No, only for Trump reasons. And and look, there's a part of me who watched that, that uh, you know, that angry mob go, go to the Capitol and thinking, yeah, that's about right. That's the, you know, in the words of Malcolm X, that's the chickens are coming home to roost. And that's exactly what that was. And look, I laughed. I mean, can I say I enjoyed it? I don't know that I can say that I enjoyed it, but, but I, I found it, I, I found it remarkably hysterical. I mean, I, I did, as I watched that unfold, and even as I still hear Republicans try to justify it, Oh, no, we condemn violence. No, you didn't. None of you did. You advocated for it. You incited this. 
And you'll still hear people today, you know, and across Facebook, Twitter, you know, on the on the floor of Congress, try to compare what took place last week to um, the riots or to the, the protests that took place uh, in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. Like there's a comparison to people who are angry about cops killing unarmed people of color. And this lie that, that Trump really won the election by a landslide. Those people who went to the Capitol last week, they were trying to overturn, you know, their system of government, their system of, of you know, uh, their election system. That's what they're trying to overturn. They weren't trying to correct an injustice. They're trying to um, affect an outcome of a system that, that as flawed as it is, it's, it's something that they would absolutely, they had no problem with, with Trump being declared the winner of an election that he lost by almost 3 million votes. But let him, <laughs> let him be declared a loser and one that he loses by 7 million? And, and these people lost their minds. But those people protesting the Capitol is not the same as any of the people who were pissed off at cops, who were pissed off at, at, at death by cop. Or pissed off at, at racial uh, and uh, social and racial inequities. Look, I'm all for you know for taking to the streets and raising hell about you know unarmed people of color being killed by police officers, and then justified by the systems, by the justice system, by you know uh, you know by the, the so-called checks and balances. These aren't the same thing. Those riots uh, you know that occurred. And some of those were actually instigated by people trying to be, be troublemakers, by proud boys. I mean, many of those riots were escalated by people who were, in who, who were intent on causing uh, destruction who were on the right. Anybody trying to suggest that, the, that this storming of the Capitol was Antifa or Black Lives Matter? What did they think? A bunch of black people put on white face and did this thing? They know it. They know the truth. But again, this is this is the mentality that exists, and it exists. Part of it is 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 the idea that there was going to be a constant promotion of democracy as something that is the that is always going to be prevailing wisdom and prevailing truth, and it's not. Look, even in a true democracy, with fifty percent plus one, you've got a dissatisfied and a discontent 50% minus one. That's, that's just a recipe for conflict. And that's the conflict that we're seeing. I want to thank you for listening. Um, you can check us out as a podcast. You can check this out on YouTube and you can check this out on, on Facebook. Uh, but do check us out. I look for your comments and uh, you can support us on Patreon. Yahweh. <laughs>